Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. I have family here that are with me, and I have friends that are here with me, and I'm so happy to see each of your faces. I will say, uh, this is a first for me to preach in front of five pastors, four Global River pastors, and one former Global River pastor, and that's a little intimidating to me. (laughs) I've been comfortable with Pastor Tom and Pastor Terry, but then when you bring in five, I'm like, whoo, five. But it's, there's grace, praise the Lord. Okay, give me one second, get logged in. Okay, so you should all have a handout that has the references, and the title of my message is A Biblical Look at Social Justice, and as long as I stay on the biblical side, I'm really safe, but as you know, when it comes to social justice, we all have our own beliefs, we all have our own opinions, and I want to say that if any of my beliefs, political beliefs, Anything that offends you slips out. I just ask for your grace and forgiveness. And I thought I should pray for Pastor Tom to clean up any of the messes that I create by talking about a biblical look at social justice. But I want you to know I have wrestled with this message. I said, God, why me? Why now? Why not someone else? But this message began brewing in my heart long before George Floyd long before George Floyd. You see, I'm taking a class in seminary, and it was called The Biblical Foundation for Mission. And what this book did was it took me through the Bible, looking at the Bible through the lens of missions. It said the gospel began in Genesis, in the garden. From the very beginning, God's purpose was to bless all the nations through Israel, which means through Jesus now, God is blessing all the nations, and now it's through us, the church. The gospel began in the garden. The plan to bless everyone began in the garden. The plan to undo oppression, to overcome injustice, to bring blessings to all the nations through Israel began in the mind of God long ago. So I started this class eight weeks ago. I should get my grade today. If any of you are in school, you know how you keep going back to Blackboard over and over again to see if your grade has been posted. That's what I've been doing. But I wrote a 10-page research paper, and that is the foundation for this message. Because the very first week, the professor said, Choose a prophetic scripture from the Old Testament and tell about how it is fulfilled today. And I love Isaiah 58, that Isaiah 58 fast. It's about overcoming oppression. So we're going to look at that. But the first verse that I have is an instruction for us. Micah 6, 8, and this should be on your handout. It says, he has shown you, O man, And, oh, woman, I will add, what is good? That's the question. What is good? Because what is good to God is very different than what is good to us. 
His ways are so high above our ways. His thoughts so different than our thoughts. What is good and what does the Lord require of you? God has requirements of you. But to do justly, that means do what is right, do what is good, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. As God has been teaching me, th- teaching me things the past few weeks, I've had to humble myself. There are beliefs that I have held for years that I have now laid down. I have reached out to people and said, how have you experienced racism? Tell me. Tell me the top 10 things you don't want me to say to a Latino. What things do you not want to hear? What things are offensive to you? What things grieve your heart? And as I got these responses, my heart was broken. I just sat. I just sat holding my phone. I've got the screenshot right here. I just sat in my laundry room, just shocked and broken by what people have experienced in America the land of the free, the home of the brave, broke my heart, broke my heart. People feeling like they have to change to fit in with culture, broke my heart. To walk humbly with your God, what that means today is that we need to check our long-held beliefs at the door and say, God, I could be wrong. We need to check our politics at the door and say, You know, that platform might need to be tweaked a little bit. That might not look like Jesus. I might agree with this, but I'm not so sure about this anymore. I've been reaching out to people, tell me, tell me. And as I have heard, it has broken my heart. What is God's mission? So what we're gonna do is talk about how we as a church in order for us to bless all the nations, because we're the seed of Jesus, we have to overcome injustices that have been done to people. And right now in the US, especially our mind, of it, it just naturally goes to black and white and racism. But I want you to know that I'm not just talking about the U.S., I'm talking about injustice globally. I'm not just looking locally, I'm looking at other countries, otros otros países. I'm looking, I'm talking to people in Venezuela who say, I am a petroleum engineer and I earn $24 a year. My new Spanish tutor, petroleum engineers are the top paid engineers, the top. She earns, because of inflation, she earns $24 a year. When my family goes out to lunch today, if we get really good burgers for Brian and me, that's $24. And it broke my heart. So there is injustice everywhere. Where there's illiteracy, there's injustice. Where there's divorce, there's injustice. Where there's poverty, where there's homelessness everywhere, where there's brokenness, where there's war, where there's sex trafficking, all of these places, there's injustice. And as I stand up here and talk about injustice, I am not pointing at anyone. Because you want to know who's to blame for injustice? Me. It's my own sin. It's your own sin. It is the sin of the human race 
that is to blame for injustice. It is the sin and the brokenness of the fallen world we live in. Why is there poverty? Because we live in a fallen world. Why are there natural disasters? Why are there floods? Why is there homelessness? Why is there addiction? Because of sin. And there's nobody to blame for sin but us. You can't say, well, it's because they did this. Well, yeah, there's sin. It's sin, and we're all sinners. No one of us can say, well, they did that because I'm a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. That is why there is injustice. So as I talk about injustice, I ain't pointing fingers at nobody but me. And the solution is not there, 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 and there, but it begins with me. What can I do to overcome injustice? What can you do? We can all do something So what I did as I did my research, I started to think, sometimes words don't come to my brain very quickly. And I was thinking, overcome injustice, overcome injustice. And it finally dawned on me, well, that's that term social justice. That's the opposite. That's what it is. And so then I got on the internet, well, what is social justice? All kinds of definitions for social justice. All kinds, all over the spectrum from redistribution of wealth to communism, to equality, to robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. And I went on Facebook, because I like to ask people, what are you thinking? What do you think about this? Then I asked two questions. First, how should the church be involved in seeking social justice, or the flip side, or overcoming injustice. So first, how can the church be involved? Second, what do you think, I don't, my Bible is, all my scriptures are here, but pretend that this is my Bible. (laughs) My bag gets really heavy, so I just, my scriptures are there. But what do you think is the biblical basis for social justice? Two questions. What should the church do? What's the biblical basis? The first two answers were great. One was from a woman who um, runs a, she has a ministry in Haiti. And then another one was someone who actually lives in Clarkston, Georgia, someone from college, because it has 60% minorities. She's a white woman. She's living in that city on purpose. They chose it to work towards reconciliation. But after that, there were all kinds of answers. Answers about communism. Answers about anarchy. Some very sensitive answers about white privilege. It just devolved. It just devolved. What's the biblical basis? What should the church do? It's a very divisive topic when you say social justice, because we've all experienced different types of injustice. We see it through our own lens. I see it through my lens. You see it through your lens. And that's why, even though it's hard, I've had to ask some people. There are more people I need to ask, more people I want to talk to. A biblical look it's social justice. Again, my, my purpose is not to point the finger at anyone, but to look at, okay, there are injustices. What are they? What is the heart of God towards injustice? And then what can we do about it? Single mothers. Somebody told me um, they were the working poor. 
Single mothers are the working poor. Addicts, people in prison, immigrants, refugees, widows, orphans, persecuted Christians. All of these groups who have been pressed down in some way have experienced injustice. It could be their own fault, could be their ancestors, it could be the fault of the government, an oppressive government. So, let's start with the Old Testament. Let's jump in. The Old Testament. So this past spring, I took, um, I've taken two courses, one on the Old Testament, and then one on the biblical foundation of mission, which kind of went all the way through whole chapters in this book on the Exodus, um, the Jubilee, the covenant, looking at all of those things, looking at the gospel through the lens of the Old Testament. And there are things in the Old Testament that we're no longer um, required to observe, things in the Old Covenant. But what we see in the Old Testament that I believe is the same is the character of God. Because God does not change. And in the Old Testament, what you see is that God does not like injustice. And God cares about the people whose lives have been affected by injustice. Um, this should be on your handout, Psalm 89:14. Jim, do you have a handout? Because that'll help you know where I'm going. Okay. Psalm 89:14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. What does that mean? A throne represents a kingdom. It means God's kingdom is one of righteousness and justice. Now, those words are a little nebulous. What exactly is, you know, righteousness? What is justice? Another scripture, Deuteronomy 32.4. And these were scriptures that my good Facebook friends gave me when they were saying, this is what I think social justice is about. Deuteronomy 32.4. And this scripture is describing God. His work is perfect for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So righteousness is a, it's a characteristic, I believe. Righteous is a characteristic. And it means being right in a moral sense. Basically, it's living a life in conformity in the law, to the law. I think it was the Vines Dictionary that said, God's nature is in alignment with his character. It means that all the things he does are in alignment with his goodness. That he's gonna do what is right. Justice in the Hebrew, it, it literally means what is right. It's doing what is right. Do you think sinful, selfish human beings always do what is right? No. No. We mess up. We commit injustices. Injustice happens. So if God's kingdom is righteousness and justice, if his throne is based on that, then that means injustice has nothing to do with God. It's totally a thing on the earth. There will be no injustice in heaven. No one will be pressed down in heaven. One of the ways that God executes justice is for the needy. It's for the needy. 
Deuteronomy 10, 18. It says, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. The alien. In other versions, it might say the foreigner, the stranger. What that meant was it was the people that weren't Israelites. It was the people from otros países, from other countries. Am I saying it right? Otros otros países, people from other countries that had joined together with the Israelites. What does it say? He loves the sojourner, the stranger, the foreigner, the alien. Now that'll check your politics. That'll check your politics. I spent a little bit of time this morning just looking and thinking about how when there was a famine in the land with Isaac and his sons, they went to another country. They were immigrants to Egypt. They received food and shelter there. There was nowhere else to go. In the book of Ruth, they go to Moab because there was a famine in the land. They were immigrants to Moab. God cares about the stranger, the needy, the sojourner, the foreigner. Whatever version you're reading in the Bible, God cares about those who, have, who joined with Israel. He cares. Psalm 41, 1. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. Gosh, today, have you considered the helpless? I spent probably five minutes considering 10 different necklaces to go with my outfit. They're all, it looks like there's an explosion in my bathroom of jewelry and everything. But in, in life, do we just stop and consider the helpless? During your day today, are you going to think about the helpless? And what can we do to help the helpless? How blessed is he who considers the helpless. Amen. Isaiah 35, 3, and I have in my prayer room where I probably don't pray as much as I should, but it's my room where I spend time with God and I've got all my seminary books and I have a wall of post-it notes. Scriptures the Lord has given me. Isaiah 35, 3, encourage the exhausted. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. In your midst, there will be the needy, the alien, the exhausted, the feeble, the oppressed. Encourage them. Strengthen them. I think that is part of my call. I am called to the broken women and the addicts. I am. There was a FaceTime live video I was doing from Costa Rica, and as I watched it, I was like, wow, there's an alcoholic that's watching, and there's an alcoholic, and oh, I've got another alcoholic joining. I am called to encourage the broken. That's why I share my imperfections is so they can relate to me. That is my call, is to encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. So let's turn to Isaiah 58, if you'll turn with me there. Y'all doing okay? I told my mama I wasn't going to step on her toes. How are your toes, mama? Doing good. I promised her. I'm like, I'm not stepping on your toes this time, mama. 
but the rest of you are game. <laughs> My toes have been stomped on already. Okay, so Isaiah 58, what this is, is the Israelites were practicing religious things. They were fasting. They were spending time with God. But at the same time, they were showing no compassion to the ones working for them. So they were religious, but they weren't compassionate. A characteristic of Jesus that we're gonna talk about in a minute is compassion. So let's read this. This is a diatribe against them. Isaiah 58, we're gonna start with verse one. Cry loudly, do not hold back. He's telling them, raise your voice like a trumpet. And declare, oh, I'm sorry, this was, to, this was Isaiah. And declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. That sounds like a religious people that are seeking God. I lost my place. Verse three, they said, why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? But God says, behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire. On the day you're fasting, you find your desire. You do what you want to. It says you drive hard all of your workers Verse four, behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. And then, so after God has told them, I don't hear you because even though you're doing all these religious things, you're mean. You're not compassionate. You're not kind. You're being mean. And then God tells them the kind of fast he really wants. Verse five, is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice. That's God's fast, to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. God's fast to loose, to loosen the chains of injustice. That's what God has called the church to do, is where we see patterns of injustice, systems of injustice, frameworks of injustice, generational sin that's all about injustice, is to work to undo it to work to undo it. And it seems like a big thing, but there are all steps that we can take to loosen the chains of injustice. <laughs> That's God's fast. 
So we see that God cares about the oppressed, the vulnerable, the feeble and helpless, the poor and the hungry, the homeless and the naked, the orphan and the widow, the alien and the refugee, the exhausted and the persecuted. So we know that in the Bible, we see that God cares about all people. God loves all people. That's why he sent his son to die on a cross to pay for our sins so that he could be with us. God cares about all people, but he has a special place in his heart for the oppressed and the poor and the broken and the needy, the ones who have suffered injustice. We see in the Exodus He heard their cry. He heard their cry. God hears the cry of the needy. My textbook said, Yahweh is the God who loves to love, especially to love the needy and the alien. God loves the broken. We see in the Exodus, we see a pattern of biblical redemption. God delivers his people, but he also takes them on a political journey from not a people to a nation. He takes them on a social journey from being slaves to being independent. He takes them on a religious journey from not being able to worship to being able to worship. So redemption isn't just Jesus dying on the cross and paying for our sins. Biblically, if you look at the Exodus, you see it was improving their lives economically, socially, politically, religiously. What we're about is not just getting our souls saved and going to heaven. There's more. There's more that God has called us to do. You look at the Jubilee. That was a pattern of God's restoration It was a way to keep the land in the family. And he says, you need to care about the alien because you're aliens. God says, you're you're strangers in my land. Care about the strangers. Care about the ones who have lost their land. It It went back to the family. It was God's system of preservation, restoration. And then in the covenant, we see his commands towards justice. So you have to relate this to today. Who are the oppressed? Some of you would raise your hand and say, it's me. And we've all at some point experienced some level of being oppressed. But let's look at what does oppressed mean? I'm sorry, I just swished my water. My mouth gets dry and sometimes I do that. But I'm not going to turgle, Lindsay, and God willing, I'm not going to burp. They always tell me, don't burp, don't turgle, Lisa. So, but I swish today. Makes me real. Okay, to oppress. All right, Pastor Willie, I don't have a bat this week, but I've got a mallet. Got a mallet, okay? If I took the mallet to the plate... I thought about doing this, but I couldn't find a way to do it. I do this a lot at home because I break up plates and make stepping stones and mosaics. Sometimes I take a hammer. But if I took the big thing of power and hit the plate, it would break. And in the Hebrew, that is what oppress means. To crack in pieces, literally or figuratively. To break, bruise, crush, discourage, oppress. So 
oppression takes this plate and it turns it into this. It turns it into a bunch of broken pieces. What have I got in there? Excuse me. That is what oppression does. Now, I've been thinking about this and I haven't wrapped my brain around it fully, but how does one become oppressed? How do you become, if you're born like this, how does your life turn into that? I think for some people, it's their own mistakes. Some people make mistakes. They sin, they mess up, and oppression and injustice come in. For some people, injustice is done to them, personally, or by a system, by a government, where there's war, injustice is done to people. And sometimes I think some people just might be born into a system of brokenness. If I was born in the housing projects, most likely I would be different than the person I am today. I was born a whole plate. Both of my parents had gone to business college. We lived in the suburbs of Charlotte. I went to great schools. I went to Independence High School. Anybody ever heard of that? They won football championships for many years. I graduated. My mom was a valedictorian, right? My dad was. So they laid a foundation for working hard. I was a valedictorian. I had a scholarship to college. I had a full plate. I was a full plate. Now, there were places where I messed up, <laughs> things I didn't do well. My college roommates in the back, she saw it all. She loves me still. <laughs> she saw it all. But God in his grace redeemed me and broken things can be made whole. But some people, I believe some people are born into systems of brokenness. Maybe there's not a father in the home. Maybe there's a single mother. Maybe they're the working poor. Maybe there's addiction. Maybe there's homelessness. Maybe there's hunger. Maybe they live in a country where there's war and they become refugees. Some people could be, I'm still working this out, and you know, and we all by grace have the opportunity for God to change our lives and heal us. But some people are born advantaged like me and some people are born more to disadvantage. Would you agree with that? Amen. And this is a hot topic, so I'm speaking very carefully. <laughs> but we all, to some degree, experience oppression or injustice. Some we bring on ourselves some others bring on us. Sometimes there's generations of sin and oppression, and I know, Pastor Tom, you see this doing prayer ministry, working through generational sins, and it's just passed down and passed down through the family. So people are born into social frameworks, systems of injustice, and then we have to work to overcome it. What can we do to help those that are born like this? How can we take these broken that God loves and bring restoration, bring biblical redemption to their lives. How can we take them? Sometimes we just cast them aside, but that's not God's heart. God's heart is for each one. He says, I hear you, I hear you. Just like he said to, um, oh, my mind forgets the words. 
To who? Yeah, to Jennifer Costle. That's an example of redemption. He says, I see you. He's the God who sees. Hagar, that's who he said that to. I'm the God who sees. God sees the broken. And he wants us to be able to see them as well. We have to identify where there's injustice. Uh Uh-oh. The heart and nature of God. Turn with me to um, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61.1, and this is my last Old Testament scripture, and then we're going to go to the new. This is a messianic um, prophecy that's pointing towards Jesus, because in a little bit we're going to see Jesus repeating um, some of these words. Isaiah 61, just going to do verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. He has sent me to the afflicted, to bind up, to put together, to piece together the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners. So if you'll turn now to Luke 4.18 in the New Testament. And this is what they call the Nazareth episode because this is where Jesus stands up in the, um, in the temple and pretty much says who he is. Luke 4, 18. This is gonna sound familiar. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to set free those who are crushed into pieces, broken down, to set them free. So what did that look like? What did that look like in the ministry of Jesus? It looked like deliverance. He delivered people from evil spirits, set them free. It looked like healing their bodies. It looked like feeding the hungry. I was thinking today when, um, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, they, they were hungry, and he didn't say, well, they should have known to bring some food. They should have known we were going to be out here for a while. Why didn't they pack their lunch? He didn't blame them and said, well, they should have known. They should have done this. They should have done that. He said, no, I'm going to feed them myself. I'm going to serve them. He didn't say, well, they should have. He said, I'm going to. He didn't blame them, but he said, let me, let me fix this. They're hungry. Let me, let me do something about it. Let me use my disciples. Let this be a teaching moment. He fed people. He showed mercy and he showed compassion. That was a compassionate moment because the disciples were like, let's send them away. Let them get some food. And he's like, no, I'm going to feed them. We're going to look at that scripture in a minute. So I want to give you a few examples Actually, I think I'm not going to read this one. I've got a lot. I've probably got a couple messages in this. 
an example, um, Mark 7, 24 through 30. This is where Jesus um, cast out the demon of a little daughter of a Syrophoenician woman. She wasn't even an Israelite. All the nations will be blessed through Israel. She was of a nation that was blessed through Jesus, the seed of Abraham. In Mark 1, 40 through 42, this is where Jesus healed a leper. And I love this because when you touch an unclean person, you become unclean. And Jesus reached out to touch him, and, and the man was made clean. But are we willing to reach out and touch those that might make us a little dirty? Are we willing to go places where a little dirt might rub off on us, where we might not look all Christian? I've been in some vape shops with my nieces, haven't I, Lindsay? And I've even bought tobacco for a vape. I've gone into the Hess and said, I need golden tobacco flavor pods number five, right? Whatever it is. I have gone places and done things, and I was sharing some of this with my Spanish tutor, and he said, you know, some people would judge you for that. I was like, yeah. And he said, but what do you think Jesus would think when you were serving and loving people right where they are? Right where they are. I was like, I see Jesus smiling. I mean, I don't want my nieces addicted to tobacco, but she's not smoking cigarettes, is she? No, we've come a ways. <laughs> We're getting there. I've done some things. Some things have rubbed off on me, things that might not look Christian. I'm not gonna, even, I thought some bad words this week, but we'll just blame that on COVID-19. <laughs> it's just been rough. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you. Mark 8, 2, this is where, um, I don't know if that was the 4,000 or the 5,000, but Mark 8, 2, Jesus said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me three days and have nothing to eat. He didn't say they should have packed a lunch. He said, I feel compassion. He spent hours, I think of Pastor Tom and the other teams that do prayer ministry, the hours that you do ministering to broken people. And it's tough. I've, I've sat in, I think maybe on four or five now through the years, and, and it's tough. It's tough. But Jesus showed compassion, healing the sick, delivering people from demons. Ma Matthew 9, 36. Seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. They were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. We know also that Jesus sought out the sinners. He ate in the homes of tax collectors and sinners. That's where he went. Those people that go to the vape shops, he was in their home. He was there with them. Not that, you know, I'm just saying, I love you, Lindsay. I've been in some vape shops. But he went there. He ministered. Jennifer Costell taught last week from John 8. No. John 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he interacted with her. She was the first person he ever revealed to that he was the Messiah. He said, I am he. She says, the Messiah is coming. And he says, I am he to that sinful woman. Then the woman caught in adultery, John 8, he brought forgiveness to her. 
So Jesus sought the sinner. A lot of people on Facebook, um, when I asked that question, they talked about social justice is loving your neighbor. It's loving your neighbor. But then the question is, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And we know from the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the good neighbor was the one that showed mercy. The religious people walked by the man who was hurt, but the Samaritan person showed mercy and stopped to help. I don't have time to, to read through that. Jesus, and last week I thought Jennifer Costell was gonna preach my message because this sentence was right in my paper and it came out of her mouth. The gospel portrays Jesus as a man who crossed boundaries of gender, race, class, religion in order to serve the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. He crossed those boundaries. He went to those places where people said he shouldn't have gone there. He went there. Um, one of the, the books that I read, it said it, 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 this is God's preferential option for the poor. God loves everybody, but he's got a heart for the poor. So these are some thought-provoking questions. These are some questions that are gonna mess with your theology, and they've messed with mine. And because I read them, I'm not saying every answer is yes. I want you to think about some of these questions. Would Jesus visit inmates, and don't answer aloud, I just want you to think, visit inmates on death row? Would Jesus visit homeless camps? Would Jesus send a woman into a strip club to minister to the strippers? There's a ministry in Wilmington that has done that. Doesn't sound very religious. Would Jesus sit in a bar and drink tonic water and minister the alcoholics that are at the bar with him? That's a tough one. Would Jesus go to a gay pride parade and offer free hugs? I've seen people do that. Would Jesus help an undocumented migrant? That messes with my theology. Would Jesus stand at the border and see the broken and the needy and the desperate? And would he say, come, let me help you? That's a tough one for me. What would, how would Jesus respond? And last night I read every, not everything, I educated myself on both sides of the immigration question. I read what all kinds of people think, but I wanna know what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I think he'd swim across the river. <laughs> That's what I think he'd do. He'd walk on water, get to the broken. Would Jesus have stepped up to come to the aid of George Floyd? Would he have stepped up? Would he sell all he had to become a missionary? Would he give over and above his tithe to fund a food bank? Would he fix the car of a divorced single mother? Would he take a gay couple out to lunch? Some of these things have been messing with my theology because what I'm learning 
is that in order to earn people's trust, you have to cross some of these boundaries. You have to love them where they are, and then you get the right to tell them about Jesus. But if you just stand where you are, where nobody can judge you, where you won't go anywhere, where somebody might think you're not religious, if you just stay right there, you don't really have a right to share the gospel because you're not living it. You can just stay in your house and stay with your church people and not go anywhere and get to heaven. But that's not what God has called us to do. God has not called us to do that. Jesus crossed boundaries. He went to them. He earned the right to preach. I can preach to my nieces, can't I, Lindsay? Yes. I have earned the right. I have taken my nieces. We have been in the dentist with them medicated and crying out in pain. We've been at Medac. We've been to driver's license places. We've been to Cape Fear Community College. We've done colonoscopies. I've helped with a colonoscopy prep. We've been, we've, I have earned the right to preach to those girls. And I've got a business card that I tape in the car when they're with me. It says I'm a preacher. So I just hold it up. And I preach to them because I've earned the right. I've loved them right where they are. Yeah. We've... <laughs> So my nieces had some goals they wanted to meet. They needed driver's licenses and diplomas. Helping people, social justice, overcoming injustice, is helping people do things like that. It's taking them to Tracy Hogan and Debbie Hogan, helping them learn how to drive. It's sitting for hours during orientation at Cape Fear. It's going to those places. And so those things, when we serve the world like that, that's how we earn the right to preach the gospel. Now, social justice without the gospel ain't worth squat because you're just maybe improving their situation, but you're not giving them the truth that leads to life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything else is just a handout. You have to have overcoming injustice, promoting social justice plus Jesus. It can't be one without the other. But to tell them about Jesus, you got to serve them first. You just can't go up and say, sha na 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 in the name of Jesus. You need to get your life together. You need to stop smoking and stop drinking and stop doing this and stop doing that. You don't have any right to say that. But if you love them the way Jesus would love them, you can preach all you want. But you got to love them first. So there are ways that God can use you to promote this biblical view of social justice, which is really finding anyone that's been oppressed and helping them out. It's adopting an orphan. It's helping someone who's illiterate learn how to read, helping kids get diplomas. I knew how to do that. I homeschooled my kids. I had connections. So many people helped us. There are things you can do. It's taking some bread home to your neighbor. It's visiting the elderly. It's loving those with chronic illness. It's serving the widows and the orphans. And I don't have time to go through it today, but it's exactly what the apostles in the early church did. Jesus told them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases. That meant touch the unclean. Touch the unclean, drive out demons. 
That's what they did. We had a house, there was a house of mercy in Acts 6. They gave out food for the widows. So what Jesus did, back to the Isaiah 58 fast, Isaiah 58.10 says, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, if you do those, and um, I did some studies once, it's, it's like literally if you lay down your soul, if you lay down your soul, if you give yourself, not, not give bread to the hungry, but if you give yourself to the hungry, and if you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. Jesus gave himself to the hungry. He satisfied the desire of the afflicted. One of the papers that I had to read, we had to read research papers, scholarly articles, it said that when you, it's from the book, Exalting Jesus in Isaiah. And it says, it said, spending yourself means that you allow your heart to be touched by the needs of others. That's what Jesus did. We have to allow our hearts to be touched, which means we need to know what injustice is. We need to quit blaming. We need to do something. We need to quit saying you ought to, but I'm gonna. We need to quit blaming, but do something. practical things. Think about the seven mountains of culture, family, arts and entertainment, education, economy, media, religion, and government. Where is there injustice in those seven mountains? Where is there injustice? What, what caused it? At some point there was sin or something related to our fallen world. What can you do? How can we work to overturn injustice, to take down those social frameworks of injustice, to dismantle it and establish justice? In what areas do you have influence? For me, I'm learning that um, for many years, I've been learning Spanish and I'm also called to mentor. And so I've been, as I've been growing my ministry, I have a life coach that helps me. And she's like, now, how does mentoring in Spanish help you reach your goals? Because <laughs> my goal is like, I want to speak. When I went to my niece Megan's high school graduation, how many years ago was that? Eight? Seven. We were in a Bojangles Coliseum in Charlotte. And I thought, I would love to speak here. You know, I'm sitting up in the nosebleeds and I'm like, oh, that would be so fun. That's, I would just love that. But I keep doing Spanish. I've done 40 lessons, 40 lessons. And I'm reading it and I'm listening to it every night. I woke up the other morning with three Hispanic men speaking in my bedroom. And I'm like, where did they come from? And the earbuds in my ears, <laughs> my podcast. So I've been doing that and I haven't let go of these mentor girls. And then it's starting to come together because now I'm starting to mentor Hispanic women in otros países, in other countries, via Skype. I'm mentoring a young girl from Peru. And I'm like, God, what is that? And now I'm starting to wonder, well, am I called to, his, to Latinos or English speakers or both? 
am I going to be in this Hispanic church? Am I going to be in this congregation? I'm like, God, you're, I still want to be on that big stage in that big coliseum, but something about these girls and Spanish is related to it because I won't let it go. So I'm wondering, how can I help them? One of the girls, she's called to be a pastor. She has very low self-esteem. So I am sponsoring her with with my life coach. I gave her three free sessions to work on her vision. Why? Because I believe in her. I want her to know that somebody believes in her. I want to elevate her because she's in a place of injustice. She's a Hispanic woman who has to work so hard, much harder than maybe I've had to work to achieve success. Those are words out of her mouth. She has to work hard at everything she does. So I'm investing. I'm wondering, should we start an English as a second language school here at Global River? Would that overcome injustice? Would it elevate people who can't speak English, whether they're Asian? I learned that about 20% of um, undocumented workers in the U.S. are Asian. Never knew that. But would it help people to know how to speak English? Would it elevate their ability to get jobs? Yes. What can we do to help those who are bogged down, sometimes through no fault of their own, from injustice? Some ways we do this at Global River, we have a food pantry, we give away food, we pray for people. We have prayer ministry. We support orphans in other countries. We educate female seminary students. Education, we lift them up. When we were in Costa Rica in January, we took food to the poor. And that was heartbreaking. Some of us saw some really tough things. But what more could we do? What can you do? How can God use you to bit by bit dismantle injustice? Could you teach someone to read? Could you offer an English lesson? Could you connect with someone of another race? Can you give yourself to the hungry? Can you help people in Mozambique get an education? That is so huge in other countries. We take it for granted There are ways that we can give ourselves to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Um, As I was working through some of this, Pat Bradford sent me a quote. Thank you guys for coming on up. She went to a Abner Suarez conference a couple weeks ago, and this is the quote. If you are a true disciple of Christ, you are going to be inconvenienced often. If you are a true disciple of Christ, you are going to be inconvenienced often, right? Right, Pastor? I can't imagine all the phone calls and things that he deal, that pastors deal with. Now, if you just want to live your convenient, comfortable life, that's your choice. But followers of Jesus have to take up their cross and follow him to serve the broken to love the needy, to go in those places where Christians ought not to go sometimes. 
Following Jesus means you're going to be inconvenienced. You're going to be the one washing feet instead of having your feet washed. You're going to be inconvenienced often. So I, I want to ask you today, it's very easy to say, well, I'm too busy, or I'm doing this, or I'm doing that. But I want you to ask God, what is one thing I can do to overcome injustice? Who is one person I can serve? What area are you calling me to give myself to the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted? I'd like to ask our ministry team to come up and please bring a mask with you if you're on the ministry team. And um, y'all can, oh yeah, they're coming. Y'all can come on up if you're back there. I know some of you, God is calling you just like he's calling me to elevate people out of systems of injustice, to serve people, to be inconvenienced. And I just wanna invite you to come up yourself and just, <laughs> it really comes down to surrender Surrendering yourself, surrendering your time, surrendering your reputation, surrendering your finances. Serving others, I believe, starts with humility and surrender. So if, if you want to respond to this, I just want to invite you to come up either by yourself or with the ministry team. Pastor Tom, you want to take over? Thank you. I'm assuming that this has kind of touched some nerves somewhere, you've probably asked yourself some questions. I, I have, right? Mm -hmm. What would Jesus do with some of this? And I know that many of you serve in our ministries, and we've seen lots of wonderful things happen, but I believe there's more. And in this time that's coming, I believe there's going to be more broken. And somehow, um, we want the broken and the hurting to come. We want to have the right boundaries around that so they, when they get here, they they don't hurt anybody else. They don't bring any of their junk with them that is going to be uh, transmitted. So somewhere we need the balance. So my heart is, Lord, how do we reach out and do that without allowing people to jump the boundaries and do things that are inappropriate? So, but I just, I just want to encourage us. I, I asked Lisa that if we could do an altar call, that if you're in a place, maybe just everyone kind of just close your eyes for a moment. I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would invade some of your private space. He challenged the disciples when he was encouraging them. I, I shared this out of the book. Remember when he challenged them first when they couldn't do deliverance on a, a demonized boy. He called them faithless. Then he gave them instruction about prayer and fasting. And they were then able to do that when they went out and about. But then when the Samaritan village rejected the message of Jesus, James and John, the two brothers, wanted to call fire down and kill them all. And he said, you don't really know what spirit you're of. Now that you have this faith walk, that you understand power, now you want to go and destroy people. That's not the spirit that I'm of. Then there was a group that came to him and said, these people are using your name to do deliverance, and we told them to stop it because they're not with us. He goes, why are you doing that if they're not against us? 
this exclusivity that's so rampant everywhere. Jesus said, no, that's not, that's not me either. And then their pride and their arrogance, they argued about who was the most powerful and the greatest of all the disciples. And he took a little child and stuck him in the middle and said, if you don't come like this one, you're not even worthy to be with me. So I think we need to all be challenged at this point in our life and our growth and our walk because the, the, the lines are drawn. They're becoming more and more distinct. And the hatred and the injustice that exists all over. I got a call last night from our leader and pastor in Nepal. And the pressure that's on the Christian from the Hindus there is incredibly dangerous. He was asking for prayer. And they're shut down, and many of them live from hand to hand. And they had not been able to work. And so the donations we've been sending in have literally been keeping them afloat. So God, I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would reach down. You'd reveal, you'd put the spotlight on some of the areas of our own hearts where we've justified, compromised, organized. God, I'm asking you now to pull back the veil and even over the next few weeks, you would challenge the, the, the vision, the, the outlook, the, the glasses we wear that, God, I believe in justice. I believe in righteous justice, not injustice. Not everything is okay. But there's a lot more that we as the body of Christ through the power and the love of the gospel through others to, to reach out and so I thank you on the prayer line. And we had 74 families come here Thursday, and the prayer tents were set up. And we had the broken, the beat up, the drunken. The, they came, and they asked for help. And God, I pray now in the name of Jesus, we're called to be a light on a hill. And if the light that we have is really darkness, God, I pray just do a work in our hearts now, Lord. the altar call this morning is basically if you're open to being inconvenienced ask God to show you where just get up and be prayed for and ask the Lord to show you Lord where is it that you would have me to go do say I'm willing I'm willing to be inconvenienced for you Lord I you were certainly inconvenienced when they beat you and you died for me. Certainly I can do something to advance your kingdom and to bring others along. So let's stand and Lord, as we, we thank you on this celebration of independence, the greatest freedom of all, thank you for a nation, but the greatest freedom of all is Jesus. He's the, the one who set us free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So I thank you that you freed us from the sin and death that we each were headed to because of your inconvenience in the night in the garden when you asked your Father to please, please, please let this cup pass. And the Father said, no, there's no other way, son. And you said, therefore, not my will, but yours would be done, Father. I, I thou convenience in your walk, my inconvenience for you. So, Lord, I thank you. All those joining by live stream, I pray that 
right where you are right now in the name of Jesus. If you don't know the Lord, you've never, maybe you tuned in this morning, you just don't know him. I prayed with someone last week who really didn't know the Lord, and he, I just said, why don't you just ask this question? God, if you're really real, reveal yourself to me. Show me. Show me that you're real. That's a great prayer. So right now, Lord, I pray that the revelation of the Christ that, that walks among the stars and one day, I think soon, is coming back, is going to be revealed to the whole world to see. But blessed are they who know him before he is revealed to the whole world. So, Lord, I thank you now. May the, the face of God that shines be shed abroad in your hearts. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're welcome to come and dwell in us and change the way we think. Romans 12, you said, don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, letting God change the way you think. And if you will do this, he will show you his perfect plan and his will for your life. God, let that be the revelation that flows. And we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, worship team. Come for prayer. You're willing to be inconvenienced.